0: Welcome to the Rivals.com early signing podcast, Hoops Edition. I'm Kristen Peake, joined alongside our national recruiting analyst, Eric Bossy and Corey Evans. Guys, welcome. Thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks for moderating, Kristen. We appreciate it.
0: <laughs> All right, let's get right to it. I know there wasn't a ton of breaking news on Wednesday, but we still have a lot to talk about. Let's start with the current team rankings Kansas currently at the top spot, bringing in five-stars Silvio D'Souza, Devon Dotson, and four-star David McCormick. Bossy, what makes this such a good class, and what makes them number one so far?
1: You know, it's um, it's a three-man class right now. You've got a five-star point guard in Devon Dotson, you've got a five-star power forward in Silvio D'Souza, and a near five-star big man in David McCormick, and it's a good class, one, because all those guys are really talented, but... Being a good class isn't just about high ranked guys, about it's about guys that fit needs. And Kansas is going to have a big hole at point guard with uh, Devontae Graham graduating after this year. Now, they will get transferred. Charlie Moore will be eligible next year, so it's not a huge hole, but they definitely need another guy because they like to play multiple guys at the position. And it's just a big class for them, period. You know, they're really almost undersized right now this year. They've only got three big men with Yudoka Azabuki and Billy Preston and Mitch Lightfoot. And there's a chance that. Both Preston and Azabuki are gone next year, so they need to, to really probably need a third big guy who can be ready to play right away. So they're meeting needs when they have to, and they still need to go out and get another two or three guys.
0: All right, And Corey, uh, that's only three guys. There's still room for more, more players to come in. Give us some names on who else could be joining the Jayhawks.
2: Yeah, they're definitely in contention for a couple more guard prospects this fall. Uh, Romeo Langford, Quentin Grimes, and Tyler Harrow. Uh, Tyler Harrow is kind of a you know a mystery guy of sorts. He visits Kentucky this weekend for an official visit, and many believe that he could pop this weekend. So that that brings us back to Romeo Langford and Quentin Grimes, and Kansas would be totally fine with adding both those guys. But um, with what Bill Self has done in the past years and relying on. Multiple uh, ball handling lineups, a guy like Langford or Grimes kind of brings a, a big time scoring role uh, wherever they might go. And alongside someone like Devon Dotson uh, and, and even Charlie Moore, who's sitting out this year, the, either guy would be tremendous.
0: If you were a betting man, Corey, who would you say out of those three would definitely be hea- heading to Kansas?
2: Uh, Quinton Grimes. <laughs> I think Kansas has been the favorite for Quentin Grimes for some time now. Um, you know, Texas and Kentucky and uh, Marquette have also done their best there, but I would still believe Quentin Grimes ends up at Kansas.
0: Michigan State is number two right now, bossy. I mean, they're going to be making some noise on the college basketball scene. They're they're picked to win it, what some people are saying. But what's special about this recruiting class coming in next year?
1: Yeah, you know, Michigan State's... Uh class is interesting because they don't have that guy you know they don't have a miles bridges who's a top 10 player in the country um you know or a gary harris like they've had in the past a five-star kind of guy but what they do have is four of the top players and a strong class in michigan all four-star guys and then another guy from illinois or from indiana pardon me another five-star guy and so you know just go through these guys real quick um the one that is probably maybe the favorite of the Michigan State fans is Foster Lawyer. He's kind of a legendary high school player in the state. Um, you know, comes from a from a family where his father was a coach. So, you know, he's a gritty player, he's a tough player, and he's he's a winner, man. Like he doesn't he's not that guy that you go walk into the lay, layup line and go, Oh, he's a player, but he hits threes, he's an unbelievable free throw shooter, he's a competitor. I think even though he's only five foot he he'll play both the point and shooting guard while he's at Michigan State. Um you know, he just he does a lot of things for them, and I think he's going to be a really good player, and I think he's going to provide them a lot of leadership. Um, in state, also, is Marcus Bingham. He's a real high, high upside guy. He's a six foot nine, face up foreman. He's a guy that Corey actually brought my attention to first. He kind of heard about him last year during his junior year, and we both did a lot of film review of him, and we're struck by this guy who kind of fits the new age mold of a power forward. And then when we went out and saw him this summer, We're like, okay, you know, he's not there yet, but in a couple years, this guy could be one of those dudes who way outplays a ranking. And then Gabe Brown is another kind of long athletic forward who could maybe play a little bit of the three or the four by the time he's done at Michigan State. Thomas Kithier is another in-state guy. He's a power forward. He'll rebound. He'll do some dirty work. He's got some skill to go along things. And then the one out-of-state guy, Aaron Henry, you know, I look at him and I see him doing a lot of things that the Miles Bridges and the Brandon Dawson's have done in the past. Just one of these 6'6 six, six utility guys who, you know, is, is, is a tail kicker by nature, will defend multiple, multiple positions. You can switch him up and down the lineup, and who you're going to see his skill at as each year goes on.
0: All right, and UNC coming in at number three. North Carolina, obviously, were the national champions last year. They're hanging in in the third spot right now with the recruiting class. I know five-star Nazir Little is their big-time recruit coming in. Corey, what else do you see from this class?
2: Yeah, you know, I I like it, uh, you know, top to bottom. Kobe White is a guy that um, is more of a scoring primary ball handler, um, so he's not going to be a guy that can replace Joel Berry as a facilitator. But he's going to be someone that can be relied upon to put the ball through the basket, especially as a freshman. Um, and Rayshawn Black, he has some Theo Pinson dimensions to him. Um, multi-dimensional, not great at anything, but also uh, so versatile they can do a little bit of everything for you. But Nasir Lil is the guy. I mean, he's the first top five guy since Harrison Barnes in 2010 for UNC. Um, and, and just his tenacity and versatility, he's a six foot seven. Um, wing forward with a seven-foot wingspan, can defend pretty much three spots on the floor, uh, really good on the offensive glass, which Carolina's been pretty much known for the past eight, ten years. Um, so in general, these are three guys that are very talented prospects, but also fit the ethos of a North Carolina basketball player.
0: i want to put you on the spot, Corey. Uh, when looking at these three, who do you think they, they could add to their class? yeah you
2: know they're, they're, they're definitely involved for um two guys for sure um they've been back and forth with Simi Shitu and news came out this week that Simi Shitu was not visiting this weekend so um Zion, Zion Williamson is the guy that they really really want um Sir Little and Zion have kind of created a, a really good relationship together on the travel circuit uh and Romeo Langford is probably the other guy that's It's kind of the mystery guy still of sorts um, for Carolina. They probably have a better chance with Zion. It's not saying a whole lot, um, but I I would believe that UNC goes into the winter, um, remaining involved for a couple more guys uh, in the springtime.
0: All right, Bossy, number four coming in is out west here, where I'm from, is USC. Uh, They've put together a couple good classes back-to-back, uh, break down yeah, that you know for me. a little
1: bit later on we're going to discuss the uh, corruption scandal in college basketball and you know USC is a team that is caught up in that with assistant coach Tony bland getting arrested by the feds um, and charged with accepting bribes. So it's pretty incredible that they have a top five class. It missed all that. And, you know yes, they did lose a commitment from Jeron Brooks, a four-star power forward out of Seattle who has some ties to SoCal. But what they've put together is, is pretty impressive. Now, they have three top 35 guys. Um, Elijah Weaver is a big athletic guard from uh, Georgia who can play multiple positions. Um, he spent a couple years of high school in, in Florida, but is back home in Georgia. You know, he can play the point. He can play the two. You know, theoretically, he'll probably even play the three for them while, the, while he's there. Kevin Porter is a big-time scorer out of Seattle. He's one of those guys that you know he's just a bucket getter. He shoots from deep. He's got a big, strong body. He's one of those dudes that uh, he misses 15 shots. He's pretty sure number 16 is going in, and he has no memory of those first 15 that he missed. And then take Cherry, who's another one right in that mix. He's a local guy from San Diego. You know, he's the real intriguing guy. He's that 6'9", athletic, kind of 4'3", combo forward. who can play a little bit out on the wing, can play a little bit on the interior. Is athletic, has some skill. He's one of those guys that as he gets a little bit stronger and, and gets a little bit more consistent in terms of his competitiveness, he could really take off, and he's the kind of guy who could find himself in the NBA within a couple of years. So given everything they've had to face, it's a really impressive class by Andy Anfield and his staff.
0: Bossy, are you surprised at all that these that these players decided to sign their LOIs yesterday and some of them not wait to see what shakes out with the investigation?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm surprised with anyone who's going to any of these schools has been caught up, would want to sign. You know, I, I, would, I know in the case of Arizona, who we'll get to a little bit further on, Brandon Williams is actually going to sign just a scholarship agreement, which binds Arizona to him and doesn't bind him to Arizona were something to happen. So I wouldn't be surprised that if we really looked into it, some of these guys ended up doing that. But, you know, USC in this case, they must feel pretty sure that nothing's going to happen to them, and this is just – a Tony Bland issue and not a USC issue but you know me if it was my kid I would probably want to wait a little while but you know it shows you how, how good some of these guys are at selling their program and you know I frankly I don't think it hurts that at least for the out of out of state guys that you know it's LA and and kids like like the appeal of going out there and they play a fun fast exciting style and it's it's a program that's you know Many people sleeper pick to make a Final Four this year. So, you know, there's some some, some curb appeal there that helped them come it.
0: All right. And rounding out the top five is kind of a surprise probably to a lot of people. It's uh, LSU, Will Wade getting it done. Corey, I know they've got Javante Smart and a few other high-profile recruits coming in. Who else do you think they're going to get? How's this class shaken up?
2: Yeah, first off, in general, the class, it, it's pretty amazing what Will Wade's done. Um, sitting with the best class in SEC this fall with Nas Reed and Javante Smart, two top thirty five star prospects for the most part. I mean, Javante Smart's the best prospect in Louisiana. And and Reed is a uh, you know, one of the top two or three centers in his class nationally. Uh, and Will had to beat Will Wade had to defeat the blue blood guys for for each kid. And then he had Darius Days, so who's a six foot seven Kind of a mismatch forward that Louisville was involved with before the FBI investigation, and so was Carolina and Xavier in Ohio State, and just those three guys together, three top sixty guys, um, already this fall. It's pretty sensational what Will it's done at LSU, and uh, you know they they remain involved for Emmett Williams um, right now. There's there's some um, there's some questions there about. His eligibility and what will happen since he's been pressed with charges um, off the basketball floor but uh you know regardless this three-man classes it, it's it, it's definitely a culture-setting group and one that will uh, you know get LSU back into the upper echelon
0: well we can't talk about team recruitings without mentioning a couple of the blue bloods that always seem to get it done whether it's early or late Duke and Kentucky Duke is right outside the top five at number six Kentucky has a little bit farther to go. They're right now at number 34. Bossy, talk to me a little bit about the Duke class. I know they have a couple five stars in, and where they, you know, plan to go, finishing out the 2018 class.
1: Yeah, well, the the name that's on the top of everybody's list, and he's making a decision at 6 p.m. Eastern on Friday is RJ Barrett, our number one player in the country, the six foot seven small forward from Canada, or shooting guard if you want to call him that, who's in uh, going to high school at Montverde down in Florida. You know, they appear to be the leader for him. If uh, they get him done, that would leap them for, leapfrog them up right to number one with a pretty healthy lead over Kansas and anybody right behind them. That's the main guy right now. If they miss out on him, then I think you would see them really double up their efforts on a Zion Williamson. But I don't see them getting both of those guys. But if they get RJ, they've got a pretty healthy class. You know, they've got arguably the best point guard in the country in Trey Jones, the younger brother of Tyus Jones course won a national championship with the Blue Devils as a freshman back in in his one year there. And then they've also got Cameron Reddish, another top five guy who's a six foot seven, six foot eight, multi-skilled guy, you know, has a little bit of Grant Hill in him, has a little bit of Jimmy Butler in him. So you put all those guys together to be one whale of a class.
0: Right, when we look at Kentucky, they've got point guard set with Emmanuel quickly and Emmanuel quickly and Zion Williamson kind of made some noise this summer, Corey Saying that they wanted to be a package deal, and now what it looks like is Zion is stepping away from that and just kind of taking it back and and trying to do his own thing. But where does Kentucky stand? Who do you think they're going to land?
2: Yeah, they uh the situation right now at Kentucky is they're entering the new season with you know who's who's going to be the one and done guy, and for the first time in a while there isn't many holes that need to be filled. They have quickly coming in who's you know, it could be the heir apparent to Quad A Green or whatever happens to Quad A Green coming up in Shea Alexander. But it's more about perimeter scoring. That's that's the biggest need for Kentucky. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll probably lose Hamidou Diallo and Kevin Knox after this season to the NBA. And those two guys will probably fill the two and three spot this year for Kentucky. So right now it's it's. Whatever elite guy out there is available is who they're after. Calden Johnson, Tyler Harrow, Quinton Grimes, uh, R.J. Barrett, uh, like Bossy said, coming Friday night commitment, Darius Garland, um, and then even down low, guys like Moses Brown they're getting involved with and Zion Williamson. Tyler Harrow is the the close to definite for Kentucky. Visits this weekend, like we talked about. Uh, Calden Johnson commits on... Saturday evening at 6 p.m. Uh, so Kentucky could leave this weekend with a guy like Keldon Johnson and Tyler Harrow um, in the hopper, which would definitely bring some uh, much-needed offensive firepower to uh, Kentucky's oh. perimeter next year.
0: I feel like when I look at Kentucky and Duke recruits, it's always the same kids, either choosing between one or the other. Or they're always in the mix. Do you think that there's a little recruiting battle, Corey, between the two schools? I mean, I know during the season it's Duke and North Carolina, that's the big matchup. But recruiting-wise, do you think Coach Cal and Coach K, you know, they kind of get pumped up if if they take one kid or another kid?
2: Yeah, definitely. The, the interesting part is I I don't know if it want if they want to bruise their egos here or whatnot, but it seems like. They might get into a battle for a guy early on in the process and once September and October comes around once they kind of get a feel for who's gonna get who they kind of back off and that's the interesting dynamic about someone like RJ Barrett and Zion Williamson where Barrett's gonna commit tomorrow night on Friday and Duke and Kentucky are to the top three finalists for Barrett and for Zion Williamson Duke and Kentucky would love nothing but to get a guy like Zion Williamson so it's not about supremacy on the on the hardwood, but also who's the best at getting the best every year on the recruiting front.
1: Hmm.
0: All right. I know we've talked about R.J. Barrett a lot. He's the number one player in the class. We did a prediction column earlier this week, and I think all of us, plus Dan McDonald, all projected R.J. Barrett to go to Duke. Bossy, is there anyone out of the top three schools that, you know, could come in and, and take him from this? What do you think? Or is it a done deal?
1: Um, you know, yeah, well – Let's, let's talk about Oregon. You know, Oregon already has a strong class. If they look to be in a pretty healthy spot for Bull Bull, which is going to, you know, landing Bull Bull alone would give their class a huge boost right now. I think it would move them. They're at number 20 right now. They land Bull Bull. It would move them to number one as things stand currently without whatever happens with Duke and Kentucky. But, you know, assume Duke gets... Um, R.J. Barrett and Kentucky gets Keldon Johnson tomorrow night. Oregon goes into a situation where they're top three, top four class, but if they get R.J. Barrett and then they get Bull Bowl, they're going to be number one and it's going to be almost impossible to catch them. So they're the one that really stands out to me. You know, North Carolina, were they able to, to get Simi Shitu or Romeo Langford could also make some noise in this, but Oregon is the one that if you look out there and, you know, aren't even thinking that a team out there in the 20s or the 20 range could get someone Oregon's the spot you know they're going to end up with a top three or four class most likely
0: all right and Corey Zion Williamson I know there's a lot of buzz around him his season starts next next week I'm sure we're going to be seeing a lot of him on SportsCenter Clemson seems to be the dark horse here due to family ties but then you got the bluebuds in the mix what do you think about his recruitment?
2: uh no one knows <laughs> uh he's definitely the guy that it's, it's pretty interesting usually by now uh the coaches involved have a good feel for it and speaking with the programs recruiting zion um, and people close to him even in the state um even in the city uh, of spartanburg no one knows um People have a, a gist of it all. They think Kentucky, they think Clemson, they think Duke. Um, I'd be shocked if South Carolina has much of a chance, but North Carolina was the one program that kind of surprised some people a few weeks ago. People thought that North Carolina was pretty much fourth, fifth place, and out of nowhere they uh, they were able to get an official visit out of Zion. So a commitment could come after this weekend or it could come in April. No one knows. Um, Zion and his family have been pretty close to the vest about everything. But, uh, you know, if I'm putting some numbers next to it, I think Kentucky, I think Clemson, I think Duke are the three sitting atop for Zion at the moment.
0: All right, hey. another big – yep, go ahead.
1: I was just saying, Corian, I mean, if we talk about this in July, we were talking about Kansas being the leader yep. for, for Zion. I think this is one where – I think he's the one who's kind of driving the bus, if you will, and parents may have some input on it, but I don't think they're like – this isn't a family where they're really familiar with the recruiting process or, you know, some some families out there feel like they know how the game is played and they're very calculated in everything they do. This one, I think – I don't think there's any of that going on. You know, they've allowed a lot of access to Zion from various different places, and I think they're kind of just – kind of letting him do what he wants to do here so far and maybe would kind of prefer him close to home. But when you've got a situation with a 17-year-old totally in charge, like it seems to be, it creates for a bit of chaos. And At least that's my take on why no one can get a read on this one.
2: Yeah, and I will say that going back to the whole demographics and locale of it all, um, Zion and his family are very, very close-knit. I mean, they uh, dad, 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 and mom pretty much coach his travel basketball um, for the past two, three, four, five years outside of his rising um, junior summer, um, and, and also Zion's very close with his little brother, so that definitely helps programs like Carolina, like Duke, like Clemson, that uh, you know Zion is such a, a big. I don't want to call him a homeboy, but he definitely likes to represent you know where he's from.
0: Right, another, another guy, Bol Bol, that we've kind of talked on. He's down to Kentucky and Oregon. I mean, we're talking about things that we thought we knew in the summer. I thought for sure he was going to be a package deal with Sharif O'Neal to Arizona, and here we are. He's down to Oregon and Kentucky. Bossy, are you surprised at all by these two school choices, and where do you think he's going to end up?
1: Um I'm not I'm not entirely surprised by these two choices. I think you know Bowl before he moved out to California was out here in Kansas City where I am. So you know, I, I've known him for quite some time now. And Kentucky was always that one program that I knew was going to really get his attention and be a, one that actually light him up. You know, uh, Bowl is a kid that is not easily excitable, let's put it that way. And when Kentucky came in with the offer, he was excited. And then with Oregon, it's it's on the West Coast. Um, I think Bull really likes L.A. a lot. So there's a chance to, you know, play in L.A. a couple times a year and, and get back to L.A. during the school year if he wants to here and there. So I think that, and, you know, they play kind of a wide-open style. And, you know, they will, they're will they going to let him shoot some threes and play away from the perimeter, do some of those things they like to do. And, you know, they had a kid who I think is very comparable to Bull, in Chris Boucher, the last couple of years, it's the rare shot-blocking three-point shooter. And while Bowl is bigger and better than Boucher, Oregon is able to show, like, hey, we had a guy who's kind of similar to you. We let him do what he does. Imagine what it's going to be like when we got a guy with your talent level on there. So that's, that's why I think Oregon kind of leads on this one right now.
0: Corey, there's a couple guards that were, you know, once— Heavy leans for Louisville. I'm talking about Romeo Langford, and then Anthony Simons was committed to Louisville, who I know you had a long Q and A with last week down at IMG Academy, and you got a chance to talk to him. When you look at what's happening at Louisville in light of the FBI investigation, where do those two guards turn from for now?
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, Romeo is a little more um, his recruitment's a little more developed, um, so I think that. With someone like Romeo, he's much closer to a call decision, but still he could wait to the spring. With someone like Anthony, Anthony, like you talked about in the Q&A, he's, uh, he's just letting his recruitment play out right now. Um, he's in no rush. He's still nursing back a broken hand that he suffered um, at the end of September. So you have a school like UCLA, you have a school like South Carolina, SMU, um, Tennessee uh florida florida state involved there so he's he's a uh, he could be the x factor he could be the guy that waits until april and sees who jumps to the nba and uh, fills a certain spot at a higher level blue blood program and could kind of put one program from could they contend could they not to a national contending team
0: you think romeo langford is going to go to indiana
2: uh, I, I do. I personally do, um, but there's a lot to be uh, to occur until that happens. Um, his dad and himself have gone the record of saying they're gonna wait until the spring. I think a school like Kansas is is someone you have to keep tabs on there and also Carolina as kind of a dark horse. Romeo has talked about coming out with the final three this week. I think those three can make up the final three. I know Vanderbilt is also involved there. Um, so I think three of those four make that, that final list.
0: Bossy, Keldon Johnson is announcing his college decision, I think, tomorrow, if I'm correct. Uh, I know we touched based on him and, and what he would bring to the table if he chose Kentucky. Uh, what are the other schools involved, and what's your prediction?
1: He's down to Kentucky, Maryland, North Carolina State, and Texas. Um, uh, you know, for the longest time, he's one that, like, universally – everybody no matter who you work for if you're one of his coaches whatever we all thought he was going to Texas but the thing about Keldon is he's got a family that likes to roll deep wherever he goes and plays and distance from home has become a major factor in this and Kentucky while right not down not right down the street is close enough to home to kind of satisfy that but I think it's coming down here to Kentucky and Maryland most likely but I'm putting my money on Kentucky in this one right now. Um, I think maybe he's been waiting back to see what R.J. Barrett does. I think it's maybe factored into this a little bit because Keldon's somebody that it feels like we've been waiting for him to make a decision here for the last month or so. But he's just – he's a pure scorer. You know, he's one of those – I like to use a couple terms. One of my pets is, you know, he's not out there to not shoot the ball. You know, he's, he's, he's out there to let it fly. You know, he's, he's a feels-like leather guy. If there's something in his hand that feels like leather, he's going to shoot it. And that's what he does, but he's strong. He can even play a little bit of small ball for in college if you need to because he's got some post game and he can rebound a little bit. But, you know, you bring a guy like him in, you, you've you got a you know, plug and play wing scorer.
0: All right. And there are a few other guys that we're not going to get to, but you can read our prediction column at Rivals.com to see our predictions on Jordan Brown, Moses Brown, and Darius Garland um, for more on that from this week. We can't go without touching on the college hoop scandal, um, that happened, you know, in September, it kind of rocked the college basketball world. And when we look at the recruiting sign as something that the three of us, you know, we kind of deal with on the AAU circuit every year. And we are very much in with, with what's going on. Uh, Corey, what has it been like covering it and dealing with all the rumors?
2: Uh, difficult. Um, (laughs) you know, the, the thing is, um, everyone has their own side of the story um so there's so much fluff out there um uh, but no one really knows what's what's going to happen i mean it's this is not an N.C.A. case this is an fbi case um so just just how everyone was blindsided by what occurred on september 26th the same could be said for what happens next um so there is a lot of what if um there's a lot of um ideas of who's going to hit next be hit next or what's going to happen in a school like auburn or arizona or usc um but we're just like everyone else we're in a waiting pattern trying to figure out what really is next
0: Bassy, give me your thoughts on who's been most impacted through this whole fbi investigation
1: sure what's interesting is the i think so far the school that has been most impacted is the school that got brought up into all this who didn't have a coach arrested and that's Louisville you know Rick Patino got whacked they lost Anthony Simons Brian Bowen is sitting out and you know I doubt I'm skeptical of the chances that the NCAA would ever clear him, even though, you know, they might go the Cam Newton route and say, well, it was his father who asked for and received money and not the kid himself, so we'll go ahead and clear him. Or, you know, with UNC, with the academic thing, they got off because it was benefits that were available to everybody, not just basketball players and football players and, and other athletes. So Louisville, I think, is at the top of the list. And, you know, making a hard charge right now, I think, is, is Auburn. They've got two players sitting out, you know, Austin Wiley, big pieces out. Um, That hurts. He's listed as having taken money. Danielle, Danielle Purifoy is listed as taking, having taken money from Chuck person, Chuck person, the assistant coach is gone. He got fired. You know, as the documents show, he got paid 91,000 in bribe money. And I think he only gave up like 13,000 of it to those two kids, which, you know, that's a heck of a deal for Chuck person, except for the whole federal indictment aspect of it. But those are the two that really stand out. And the Auburn one is getting really interesting with the news coming out that Bruce Pearl has basically been refusing to cooperate with his own school's investigation into the matter. And I don't know, when your school is caught up in a federal investigation, I think you kind of got to play nice with your school if you want to keep your job. So it's going to be real interesting to see what happens there next. But like Corey said... Not a day, especially the first couple weeks, not a day went by that you didn't get a call from someone. Hey, man, I hear this AAU program is shutting down. I heard this guy at Adidas was in jail all day yesterday. Or, you know, this entire coaching staff is going to be resigning tomorrow and this and that. And none of it happened. You know, we're, we're talking about the feds. They don't, they don't leak anything out. But also, the more time goes on without anyone else being arrested, I kind of wonder how much dirt do the feds really have here. You know, if you add up the, the headlines and everything were all shocking, but if you look on it for how much cheating people think is going on in college basketball, it's really kind of a drop what's happened so far. So either they're going to be dropping a bunch on us soon, maybe, or maybe they really didn't have that much. And, and that's pretty wild because it's like, you know, if this is all the feds could come up with after two years of investigations and wiretaps and cameras and hotel rooms and, and corroborating witnesses and, co- you know, cooperating witnesses, either people are so good at cheating that it, they're impossible to catch or, you know, maybe just maybe there's not quite as much cheating going on as people would like to think there is.
0: Do you think Colin Sexton will play this
1: year? My guess would be yes, because his, the whole relationship with this is they're saying that, you know, a uh, an Alabama staffer who in a, Twist of Fate used to work in enforcement for the NCAA. Kobe Baker was involved in trying to funnel some monies to to Colin's dad and get dad Colin's dad met up with a with a with you know agent type people. At least that's how I re- read it. I, I guess it's actually a, like a like a guy who runs a suit making co- uh, company that's a former NBA ref. It's kind of confusing exactly why Colin's been brought into it, whether or not his dad even met with the guy. But my guess would be that yeah, he pays him plays. And I also wonder, okay, if the NCAA says Sexton is ineligible right now. How come Arizona, where when you read the stuff on Book Richardson, it says he's taken bribes, and it appears that he's given money to a couple players who are currently at Arizona, at least if you read all the affidavits. How come no one at Arizona has been forced to sit down by the NCAA yet when Sexton has to sit down, when Purifoy and Wiley at Auburn have to sit down? You know, it's there's some things there that are left to, to play out, but, you know, just no one knows. And, you know, frankly, I'm not a lawyer. Reading all those documents is confusing and hurts my brain.
0: <laughs> Corey, as we enter the college basketball season tomorrow, kind of give me your closing thoughts and what you're looking forward to the season.
2: Um, you know, it's more about how the freshmen do. Um, you know, what happens at Duke? Last year we heard all about how Duke had its collection of talent with Jason Tatum and um, Harry Giles and, you know, what happened? They they got ousted early in the tournament by South Carolina. So, how does someone like Marvin Bagley and Wendell Carter um, mix together, and how does Trayvon Duvall kind of develop into a more of a facilitator instead of a um, aggressive scorer? And how does Kentucky, without really that elite go-to guy that John Calipari has become known for, how does how does he coerce that roster to? Um, not only win games in the non-conference, but also in the SEC um, in the tournament. And and then also back to the whole FBI thing, you know, what happens at schools like Arizona and USC, two programs that are legitimate, not just second weekend teams in the tournament, but also final four and contending teams for the national championship. So how, how does that play out there at USC and Arizona? So there definitely is a lot of questions about not just this signing week and who goes where, but also how does that 2017 class do and what else happens because of the FBI investigation.
0: Bossy, any closing thoughts as we enter the season tomorrow?
2: Yeah, you know, um, Corey started to steal my thunder a little
1: bit there talking (laughs) about these NCAA teams because, you know, Louisville too. (laughs) They're they're another team that could compete for a national championship this year. You know, losing Donovan Mitchell, was a little bit of a ding, and he's been pretty good for the Utah Jazz, by the way. But you know they're right in that mix, and now you've got you know David Padgett wanted to be a head coach someday. I don't think he wanted to be under these these circumstances. You know what what can he do as a rookie head coach with all this going on? You know in Arizona where they've got that desirable blend of a young freak talent like DeAndre Ayton with some guys who are battle tested like an Alonzo Trier. You know, and then. You know, let's not forget about Michigan State. I'm really curious to see what they do this year. You know, they're they're kind of my preseason pick as the team to beat. I'm a real big believer in what Miles Bridges is going to do and, and what their core of guys around him is going to do. And then, of course, you know, I'm here in Kansas City. So, you know, I've got Kansas right to the west of me and Mizzou right to the east of me. You know, Kansas, can can Devontae Graham step up and be that Frank Mason replacement? Can they overcome being a little bit soft on the interior and, and having some rebound issues? And then, you know, Missouri, it's it's Michael Porter mania. I've I've really never seen anything like it, at least in Missouri basketball, with the fan interest there right now and, you know, having seen them firsthand in their exhibition against Kansas, how much better they appear to be. You know, how far can a Michael Porter with his brother Jonte and, and a freshman point guard like Blake Harris how far can he carry them? You know, those are the things that are kind of sticking out to me.
0: All right, back to recruiting. A week from now, there won't be but 20 or so top 150 prospects left on the board. Who's a non-five-star in the rankings that maybe isn't being talked about enough or a household name this winter, but who will be, you know, later on in the season? Corey? Uh,
2: my, my pick is a guy like Flo Thomba. I think Flo Thomba is someone that he's from – Plays for Mountain Mission School in West Virginia. Um, six foot nine, big man with seven foot five wingspan. Everyone needs big men. Uh, and, and Flo played on the travel circuit with Team Loaded, a uh, highly successful successful bunch. But I, I think Flo is one of the best uh, big men available right now. And, and you add um, you add programs that aren't involved yet because they're still recruiting some guys that they might not get in the coming days and weeks, that recruitment is going to ramp up immensely.
0: Name some schools that you think that could, you know, kind of get involved with him.
2: You know, I know definitely a school like Nebraska is getting involved, Virginia Tech is getting involved, um, even someone like Virginia that needs size. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if the majority of uh, the ACC does not get involved, someone like Pittsburgh, someone like um, – Someone like, even like Miami, that, that that would make a lot of sense to me.
0: All right, Bossy, who's your pick?
2: I'm going to go with, he, he's not exactly an unknown guy because he's in the top
1: 50, but I'm going to go with Will Richardson, who looked for the longest time like he was going to end up at Georgia or possibly Oregon, and I guess Oregon's still going to be in play. But he's decided to wait until the spring, and I think uh, as we see some of these Blue Bloods miss on guys, you can see – a Kentucky or a Kansas or, you know, a North Carolina or someone who feels like, hey, we need another perimeter guy. Let's go get this dude because he he can play the one or the two. He shoots it well. He's a guy that it seems like every time we see him, he's significantly better. You know, this time last year he was kind of a fringe top 150 guy, and now he's a legit top 50 guy, and he's a guy that, you know, with a big season to a place like Oak Hill, he could possibly put himself in the McDonald's All-American contention. So... You know, it's it's tough on Georgia because they're getting they're getting crushed right now because Mark Fox is kind of on a hot seat. I think he's got some kids that really like him and maybe would have wanted to pull the trigger there with Will Richardson or possibly even a Kayvon Moore, another top 50 guy wing. But they want to see what's going to happen with him in the spring. Is he going to get the tournament this year? And is his job going to be safe? And, you know, if they're not winning at a high level, then it's going to be a free-for-all on these kids. And I just feel like with it eventually being a guards game, once you get to the national championship level of things, that a dude like Richardson, it's going to be a feeding frenzy for him.
0: All right. Wrapping it up, let's look at the class of 2019. Bossy, compare and contrast it to 2018 and other recent classes. What stands out to you?
1: You know, it's um, it's an interesting class because I think we got spoiled a little bit here with with a nice run of guys, you know, even dating back to 2013 with Andrew Wiggins and Jabari Parker and Julius Randle and all those guys. And then, of course, the 2016 class with the Josh Jacksons and Jason Tatums and Markel Fultzes. And then last year, you know, you've got Porter, you've got Aiton, you've got Mo Bamba, you've got all these instant impact guys, you know. 2018 is, is a little bit of a step back to more of, you know, if you want to call it an average class. And I think 2019 is that. Again, you know, currently we've got Vernon Carey at number one. I think he's in a dogfight with James Wiseman, um, both big guys. Carey is a big, strong kid with some skill, where Wiseman is a long, slender kid who can really run, checks all the athletic boxes, but it's kind of inconsistent offensively. We're going to see a battle between those two guys for the number one spot, but it's, it's another class like 2018 where you look at it, you don't see a guy where you're like, Oh my God, this dude is a no brainer or these multiple dudes are no brainers with it. Like it's, it's got a lot to prove. And, um, you know, I always look at 2005 to me for any of our listeners who will remember it. it's a like the, Gerald green was number one. Um, maybe the best player that could have been out of that class was an Andrew Bynum. Um, these classes are going back to a class like that where it's just, you know, yeah, there's going to be guys who make the NBA and are great college players, but I'm not yet seeing that guy who you've got superstar and pegged for. I think R.J. Barrett's pretty close to that. I think he's a pretty safe bet in 2018, but in 2019, we're for sure still waiting on that guy, and it's, you know, at least as of today, isn't shaping up to be the the, the strongest class that I've ever scouted. That's for sure.
0: Corey, what will this class be known as? The 2018 class.
2: Uh, the what if? I mean, <laughs> it, it's definitely Boomer Bust potential. Um, there's definitely no denying the talent of some of the elite guys, but I still worry about just how how good these guys can be. These elite guys, um, you know, there's no there's no questioning the talent level of R.J. Barrett, and we can talk. Um, on and about Zion Williamson and his, his current-day production to what he could be as a NBA prospect, but guys like Romeo Langford and Jordan Brown and Moses Brown and Nas Reed, you have five, you have three or four five-star guys that are tremendous prospects. But it's also about can they play up to it um, at the college level and beyond that. And if they can, 2018 won't be as bad as we thought it was in a few years. But if not, it could be a, a pretty shallow group um, as a whole when it comes to having elite prospects for the college level and beyond.
0: All right, well, that's going to do it for us here at Rivals.com for our early signing period coverage. Be sure to follow us all on Twitter for the latest on the top recruits and high school events coming up. I know we have a videographer heading to Zion Williamson's first game next week, so those highlights will definitely be up for sure. And Corey always does a Twitter Tuesday post where he answers all your recruiting questions. So make sure you hit him up. You can find Eric Bossy at ebosshoops, Corey Evans at Corey Evans underscore 10. And I'm Kristen Peak, and you can find me at KP underscore Rivals. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and happy college basketball season starting.